is Bass Edge Radio. Come on down. You're the next listener to receive the tips and techniques from the pros on Bass Edge Radio. This episode brought to you by MegaWare KeelGuard, the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector that protects your boat from harmful rocks and road debris. The classic is passed, and we are set for another exciting FLW and BASS tournament season. I can only imagine all the twists and turns the fishing will take over the next several months. Be sure to follow all the fishing patterns in action right here on Bass Edge Radio. Yeah, Aaron, and how about those Bass Edgers that are finally getting a chance to get those tubes and kayaks in the lakes as we're finally warming up enough to be more enjoyable for the occasional angler. Now is the time to set aside the honeydews and make a few casts. Well, Kurt, let's see if we can't help make all Bass Edge Nation a little more successful angling this spring. This episode of our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, we are going to dive right into the middle of shallow water cranking with one of the finest BASS elite anglers at exploiting that technique. My seatbelt is strapped. Let's put the pedal to the metal. Bass Edge Radio is rolling. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Well, here we go, Aaron. We are rolling right along with this episode of Bass Edge Radio. And I'll tell you what, this is a great time of year to really get down and dirty and dissect some maps and get ready for some scouting trips for your next bass fishing adventure. Boy, it really is, Kurt. And, you know, this is the time of year. Very, very exciting. We know the fish are on the move. We know that they're heading into the bank and they've got one thing on their minds right now. And that is obviously with the spawn that's coming up. And what a better way to do that than to sit down with the maps like you speak of access the internet and really try and figure out where those traffic ways and migrational routes are because then all it does is come down to understanding what bait you need to be throwing after that. Well Aaron you couldn't be more correct in that statement. I think one of the key aspects to being successful this time of year is not just launching the boat and looking at your buddy and saying hey where do you want to start? Get a good idea of what situation that you're going to be applying to the fish movements and what better way to do that than you know I like to go old school school, bring out the paper maps. You know, I use the Google Earth. I use the uh, Acme Mapper 2.0, all those great internet applications. But and really sitting down with a paper map, understanding those migration routes, the structure, you know, the channels, the creek channels, the secondary points, main river channels, all those kinds of things can really help you analyze, you know, places to fish before you get to the lake so that you could potentially have more success. Oh, great point there. And, you know, then being able to combine that once you get on the 
the water with what you're seeing on your electronics. But even to take that a step further, you know, one of the things that we've talked about many times is the bass gold pattern forecast and being able to see for the specific body of water that you're going to be visiting, what has been the tried and true pattern, whether it be locations or areas of the lake, but also the baits and what has worked down through the years for that particular seasonal condition. Man, I tell you, you know, you really start going down the narrow end of the funnel when you get to that. You're right, Aaron. And what better way than just log on, get on to Bass Gold? They're showing you the winning techniques. So uh, really good stuff. And uh, I've been hearing some buzz around the office, Aaron, about some new opportunities potentially with Bass Edge and, and more importantly, Bass Edge Nation. Absolutely exciting opportunities really for the entire Bass Edge Nation community for those that want to participate. But a good friend of Bass Edge that has 25 years of experience in the fishing industry has started another new national wholesale and distribution company, which one of the things that they feature is going to be the Lucas Marine products. And they are looking to add to their highly qualified team on a national basis. So, you know, if this is something that might appeal to the Bass Edge listener that's out there to get involved in the industry and to have some added income or a new position, man, we're fortunate to be able to kind of bring in the inside scoop on this because this is not a nationally published endeavor here. They're just pretty much coming out to Bass Edge Nation saying, hey, you know what? We'd like to pick from the cream of the crop and these are the guys that we want on board. Well, the cool thing too about that, Aaron, is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a career change for somebody. You know, just kind of getting started, little part-time gig on the side, helping Lucas Oil, obviously a Bass Edge sponsor. If anybody out there is interested, make sure you send that email and indicate you're interested in the Bass Edge opportunity. The email you should send that to is info at BassEdge.com. Again, that's info at BassEdge.com. Let us know you're interested in being a part of BassEdge and their sponsors. All good stuff there, Kurt. You know what? Moving right along, it is time for the Protect the Harvest Tech Minute. Always a great time to learn more exciting information about that technical aspect of our bass fishing. Let's head out to the Tech Minute. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. This week's Tech Minute with Mark Negist of Lucas Oil is presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Dustin from Jackson, Mississippi writes, There is a surge in popularity of four-stroke engines. What is the primary difference in two-stroke and the four-stroke motors? Well, first of all, the two-stroke we know is fuel lubricated, which means that the oil is added to the fuel, whether it be directly added to the fuel or direct injection. Four-stroke outboards, they typically use the fuel, but the oil is not added directly to the fuel. Now, when you talk about lubricants, for the two-stroke, you still want to recommend the TCW3 fluids. It's a nationalist system because you don't want any ash to be formed between the piston and the cylinder wall. When you get into four-stroke engines, then you want to talk about specific oils that are certified by the National Marine Manufacturer Association, specifically for four-stroke applications. Typically, the grades are SAE 1030, 1040, and 25W40. 
And they're not your typical automotive engine oil. They're specifically designed for four-stroke outboard applications. One of the main differences is the fact that they have excellent water resistance and also rust and corrosion inhibitors in there that are not present in automotive engine oils. We do not recommend using a straight automotive engine oil in four-stroke outboard applications. Well, Mark, that is very good to know, something I did not know concerning the oils. What about as far as the fuel additives? Are there a difference there as far as what has to be added to the fuel? Fuel additives actually you can use the same fuel additives in that respect. You can use Safeguard ethanol fuel treatment both in two-cycle and four-stroke applications. You can also use the uh, upper cylinder lube specifically in the four-stroke applications, but typically the safeguard would give you benefits in both applications. As always, Mark, I learn more in 60 seconds listening to you than most nights watching the news, and it's certainly a heck of a lot more enjoyable. More Bass Edge Radio headed your way right after the break. This is Skeeter Yamaha Pro Dave Matsu. Stay right here with Aaron and Kurt on Bass Edge Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda, to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish, with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride. Extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat, we're building a legend. Legend Boats. All right, we've got some pink in the house today. The Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight is excited to have probably the best shallow water cranker in the game today, and we're going to get the skinny on that. Welcome BASS Elite Series champion and actually recently announced MLF Selects contender, Kevin K. Pink Short. Great to have you on the show, Kevin. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Love me some Bass Edge, man. It's all about educating the angler. I like that. That's a good thing. That's music to our ears, Kevin. And I think a good place to start is a lot of anglers get pigeonholed stereotyped into a certain style. But is it safe to say that you are a shallow water expert due to kind of your angler roots on the Arkansas River area? You know, probably so. Here in central Arkansas, you know, we're pretty blessed with a wide variety of water to fish. You know, we've got everything from real deep, clear water. We've got grass. We've got muddy water, timber, stumps, late. I mean, we've got it all, uh, right? But where I really kind of excelled was when I learned how to fish, you know, a square-billed crankbait back in the mid-90s. And there's a lot of places, particularly summertime on through late fall, there's a lot of times in that period of time in the year where it's really hard to catch fish. I kind of picked up on that and had some people that kind of mentored me, and and there was a couple of us that kind of learned it together. And and I've done really well with it across the country, not only here in Central Arkansas. Well, you're not kidding. You've done well. I mean, you made some serious bank in fall fishing uh, shallow runner crankbait market. But obviously, we're talking here in March, and one of your biggest wins was in the spring in shallow water cranking. Obviously, that being the Pickwick Elite Series there a couple years ago. Why is shallow water cranking effective during the pre-spawn to spawning period of the year, Kevin? It's very effective if you have a couple of different situations. And a lot of areas of the lake have that. If you have dirty to off-colored water, particularly when the fish are either setting up to spawn or even when they're spawning, 
where they can't really see the bait. Say you're in the back of a creek or something, it's got a big flat back there with stumps on it, laydowns, and the water's just dirty enough where the fish really can't get a good look at the bait. They're going to attack anything that they think might be a bluegill that's going to come around their beds, okay? Before they get on the beds, when they're really feeding up, the square bill, particularly if you've got grass, man, if you've got some shallow grass and, say, five, six foot or less, and you kind of have maybe have an inside edge, an outside edge to the grass, particularly a big square bill that pushes a lot of water. Man, I have caught some really big sacks in a lot of different places across the country fishing that particular scenario. Pre-spawn, water maybe in the low 50s. Uh, I've even caught them down into the mid-40s to the mid-50s, somewhere in that range, and working those inside and outside edges with a big, wide, wobbling square mill crankbait. Well, Kevin, in addition to the water clarity and obviously targeting that temperature range that you speak of, let's say if the lake or the body of water that you're fishing does not have grass in it, are there certain other types of cover that you could key on and, and really apply that same strategy to? You know, actually, there are rocks, uh, riprap. You know, I've seen fish that would actually spawn, like on causeways and stuff. A lot of times down at the base of the riprap where it kind of, you know, sometimes it'll change from like the big rocks to maybe gravel or, you know, like the little rocks kind of hard to describe, but if you imagine, you know, a causeway where the wind pounds on it, down at the base of it, a lot of times there'll be a hard layer right at the base of that rock, and you'll see fish spawn up it, up against those big rocks down at the base. And it doesn't work as well in clear water. That's the one thing that you've got to kind of watch. But if you've got water where you can only maybe see a foot, and the water temperature's upper 50s, uh, low 60s, and there's fish falling at the base of those rocks, chances are real good that you can catch them on a square bill crankbait. Same holds true for stumps. You know, if you get big flats where the fish spawn, and you got stumps, laydowns, and it doesn't have to be a lot of stumps. You can have a huge flat and only have half a dozen stumps scattered out across there. And if you know where those are, then, man, they can be absolute dynamite. They, they want to get close to something and spawn if they can. You know, if it's just a big sand flat, Chances are they're not going to spawn just out in the middle of nothing if they can find something to get up against. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And it can even be boat docks. You know, I've seen fish spawn, obviously we all have, around the base of boat dock piers. Well, if you've got that off-color, dirty water, that can be like little gold mines, every one of them. Talking a little bit more about the cover, Kevin, do you prefer, you know, let's say a bank, you know, you see a bank from a distance, it looks real fishy, you know, there's there's 15 laydowns in a 50-yard stretch, you're like, man, there's got to be one that lives over there, or do you prefer something that's more isolated, you know, you talk about these stumps or isolated cover, do you feel like your chances are better in one situation or the other? More than likely, you're going to do better on the isolated stuff because you can sit there and pick it apart. You know, if you've got a big laydown that's out on the flat, two, three foot deep, you can sit there and throw all the way around that thing at every different angle and cover every little nook and cranny. If there's one there, you can get him to bite. And that's one of the things that people need to remember, particularly, you know, summertime and through early fall when maybe the fishing's a little bit tough. Be persistent, okay? I mean, chances are that first cast that you make at a big stump or laydown is not going to be the one that gets bit. You may have to cast five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times 
to one piece of cover before you get bit. And work it as much all the way around as you can. Now, obviously, with the base of the tree laying up on the bank, you can't do that. But start on one side, work all the way around until you get a bite. Now, when you get a bite on something like that, that's a big tree, try and visualize in your head, was that fish maybe laying up against the trunk of the tree? Was he out on one of the tips? Okay, and the next one you come to, start right there. Because you may pick up on something that's like that simple that'll save you a whole lot of time. And, you know, some of the best tournaments, fishing square bills, have been when I'd fish one piece of cover and then get on the trolling motor, and I might have to troll for five minutes to get to the next one. But those are the ones where once you kind of pick up on where the fish are, what they're on, you can catch one. I mean, I've caught one, two, three, four, five fish off of one lay down because there's nothing else out there for them to hide around. Keep that in mind. Right. Good stuff. You know, you've got obviously probably a huge shallow water crankbait selection. Share with us your most effective crankbaits and how important the wobble of the bait is when selecting which one to use. Huge doesn't even begin to describe the, uh, <laughs> the collection. <laughs> I mean, it's just vulgar. You know, I actually got several different ones depending on what I want to do. Probably my all-time favorite, the one that I've won the most money on the last couple of years, is a WECE1. It's built by uh, Mr. Ed Chambers that uh, started Zoom Bank Company. It's a little boss of square bill. also like the E3, which is a good kind of a jumbo version in that little E1. And I'll tell you, this time of year, springtime, my all-time favorite, and they're, they're kind of hard to find. I mean, they still make them, but my all-time favorite big-bodied square bill crankbait is an old Norman Big End. From now until the fish get on the beds, man, I don't care where I'm going. I am going to have a Norman Big End tied on, either in like spring craw color or one of the red colors that they have. Uh, you know, something that you think of as being a good springtime color. I'm going to have that dude tied on some 20-pound vicious pro elite fluorocarbon, and I'm going to be chunking it, I promise you. Well, Kevin, you know, you bring up a good point right there as far as colors and kind of leading me right into my next selection. I've fished uh, all my life, certainly not at the levels that you and Kurt have, but I'm still trying to determine are color selections more for the angler and the guy that's purchasing them, or are they more for the fish? You know, kind of what's your take on the role that color plays in your crankbait selection? You know, I spent a lot of years, I spent a lot of time actually painting my own crankbaits because for a long time, I thought that color was just extremely important. And I've seen days when maybe it was, you know, maybe a, a certain shade or maybe the fact that it had a little bit of chartreuse on the side of it. I've got three different ideas in my head on color, and I've kind of simplified it. What it boils down to is I want a bait that looks either like a bluegill looks like a shad, or in some cases, looks like a crayfish, okay? And, you know, obviously the bluegill being the chartreuses, the oranges, kind of the greens, the shads being the black and white, silvers, grays, and then the crawfish being your reds and your oranges. You know, the way I look at it is the clearer the water, the more I want the bait to look like a shad. Okay, I want it to look more natural and kind of lean towards either those crawfish colors or the shad colors. The dirtier the water, the more I'm going to go to the really bright colors, like the chartreuses. You know, something like chartreuse classic, bright chartreuse 
side, bright brown back, or, you know, a little uh, green scale pattern on the side. Something that really seems to show up in the water. So I really kind of, in my mind, simplify it in those three kind of color schemes. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have a ton of different colors, but day in, day out, those are the ones that I throw the most. All right, Kevin, what about pink? What about pink? You know, (laughs) hey, don't laugh now. Let me quantify real quick. I have a pink pop R. I don't have a crankbait that's pink, but I do have a pink pop R. And, of course, flukes and all that stuff. But do you and will you fish a pink crankbait? Well, I'll have to hook a brother up because I actually have some pink and white. They're old Norman crankbaits that we used to throw on the Arkansas River here a lot. And we caught a ton of fish. And it was like a, it had a pink back like some little Bengal tiger stripes going down the side and a white belly. And it was, and this was like way, way before I even thought about having a pink bass cat or anything, man. This was like way back. But we used to absolutely smoke them in real dirty water on that pink and white uh, Norman Deep Baby Inn. It was unbelievable. Well, guys, in all seriousness, speaking of pink, the pink X-Wrap in the clear water on lakes like Table Rock and Beaver and that, that works phenomenal. Yeah. So I'm telling you wow. <laughs> hey, don't be afraid of the pink that's right that's right that's right when, when are we going to see the pink line of crankbaits kevin that's what i need to know well i don't think we need to go there okay <laughs> too much okay real quick let, let me jump back you, you talked about your line selection a little bit earlier yeah. um crankbait rods shallow water cranking rods you, you a fiberglass guy you graphite uh, actions what, what do you got for our listeners as far as what kind of rod you need to work those shallow water crankbaits well and keep the fish hooked well see that's very important and i've always been a uh, fiberglass fan but i've always wanted to have a little bit more backbone and a little bit more uh, durability you know i've actually worked with Luz to create a couple of their team Luz rods that are a glass graphite composite they're extremely light extremely strong but yet they've got the forgiveness the softness that fiberglass offers. So it's kind of the best of both worlds there. It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm throwing a square bill at targets, real close range, say it's boat docks and I'm trying to throw, you know, around the post, maybe up underneath the dock, or whether it's uh, trees, maybe that have some low-hanging limbs, and I'm trying to make a little underhand roll cast up underneath those limbs or right up against the uh, trees at short range. I like a 6.6 medium action rod with a real short handle. That's very important, okay? The handle's got to be short so that you can make those little underhand roll casts and you're not actually skipping the bait across the water but when you make that little underhand roll cast it just zips right across the top of the water real flat real straight and gets up underneath stuff for longer casting say i'm fishing grass lines fishing riprap rocks whatever i'll throw a seven foot medium heavy it's a team lose rod that again is a glass graphite composite and those to me have been the best rods that I've found in a long time for throwing any kind of crankbaits, not just square bills, but any kind of crankbait. When you get a big fish right up next to the boat, one of the first thing he's going to do is try and get away from you. And that fiberglass is so soft and it's got a lot of gift to it. Not only that, but that glass gives you a little bit of a dampness, you know, a little bit of a dullness to the feel so that the fish has a little bit more time to actually get hold of that bait, to actually maybe get 
get that bait in his mouth before you start pulling on him. Because you know as well as I do, when you feel one, it's hard not to pull. So, <laughs> you bet. Fiber, oh, yeah. Because, I mean, we're, you know, we're conditioned to do that. But that fiberglass, I mean, it'll kind of slow everything down and give that fish a little bit more time to suck that bait in before you start pulling on him. All right, good deal. We're going to slow down here real quick, Kevin, before we continue our shallow water crankbait discussion. Bass Edge Radio is going to be back shortly. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, you're guaranteed to get the everyday low price on the parts you need. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any local auto parts store's price on any like item. We have the parts you need at prices you can be sure of at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We are back on Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Killguard, with Kevin Short for the second half of the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products, from real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements. Visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. All right, Kevin, here's the next question. We've got match the hatch. You hear about this terminology all throughout fishing, you know. And uh, in the springtime, there's not a lot of little bait fish running around typically because the new hatch hasn't, well, quite frankly, hatched yet, right? So how important is it to match the hatch in choosing crankbaits, especially in the springtime of year? I don't know that that is as important as maybe trying a lot of different colors. That is the one thing that I would definitely do throughout the year, but more so in the springtime is I am going to try every single color in the box until I get bit. Okay, and even after I get bit, I'm going to be trying other colors, you know, maybe to see if there's one that they will bite better. Because whether it's they think that that looks like something that they're actually feeding on, or maybe they can just see that particular color better in those particular conditions. You know, that's the one thing that I see a lot of people do is they'll start off in the morning with, say, you know, a chartreuse black hat on, and they'll throw it all day long. It's like, I just didn't get bit at all today. Well, okay, if you're doing the same thing over and over and not getting any results, guess what? It's your fault, okay? <laughs> something, man, because you're going to go crazy. So, yeah, I don't think that massive hats is that important. Later on in the year, you know, when the shad, when the bluegill start getting real active, yeah, maybe so. Early in the year, uh-uh. But try a lot of different colors. That's my best advice there. Well, good stuff. You know, Kevin, quickly, rattles, no rattles. Have you seen it make a huge difference in the shallow cranking? What's your take on that there? The only time that I really felt like it made a difference is going back to those uh, Norman big ends. I actually took several of those years ago and drilled holes in them and added like six or eight BBs to them. Not so much for the weight, but for the extra rattle, like a lipless crankbait hat all those rattles inside, well, basically did the same thing and caught a lot of fish and still catch a lot of fish on those baits because it has those extra rattles. I think early in the year, particularly when you're fishing around grass, maybe so. Other times of the year, I'm just going to give you a tip right here, and this is K-Pink's Fast Edge tip of the day. There is no silent crankbait. I don't care what it says on the package. I don't care what it says in the advertising. There is no silent crankbait. 
if you're ever throwing the crankbait very much at all, pick that sucker up, roll it over on the bottom side, and look, you got a big scrape mark right there in an arc where the hook hits it. Guess what? Every time that hook hits that bait, it makes noise. All you got to do is just take one and just wiggle it back and forth in your hand. Every single one of them makes noise. I don't get hung up on that except when I want, you know, extreme noise like adding those extra BBs to a plastic bait. Then, yeah, it probably makes some difference. But as far as real rattling, no rattling, no. I just don't see that making a big difference. There you got it, Bass Edge listeners. K-Pink's Bass Edge tip of the day. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay, next deal. You hear all about deflection of the bait, right? You know, when talking about deflection, you hit a stump, you hit a tree, you hit a rock. Obviously, you got to go through different uh, depth sizes or crankbait bill sizes to get to the right depth. How does an angler choose the right depth if they do want to deflect? And is deflecting a difference maker? There's very few times that you can take a crankbait, regardless of what crankbait it is, how deep it runs. There's very few times that you can take it and throw it out in open water and catch fish. Okay, when you're doing that, they're probably going to hit just about anything. The key to any crankbait is making that bait hit something, whether it's the bottom, whether it's ripping it out of hydrilla, milfoil, whether it's bouncing it off a stump, a boat dock. It has to deflect. And what happens when that bait deflects is it's running along there all nice and smooth, maybe, you know, wobbling back and forth, and all of a sudden, boom, it goes off in a different direction. That is what triggers the strike. Something different most times is what triggers the strike with the crankbait. So deflection is everything. Now, with that being said, one thing that you can do to kind of help that deflection process, you know, I do it. If you ever watch DD, he does it. You don't ever see him throw a crankbait out there and just wind it straight back in as fast as he can, okay? He's constantly stopping the reel, pulling on the rod, winding the reel faster, slowing it down. He's doing something different with it all the time. Same thing with his spinnerbait and his jerkbait. The next time you see him fishing on television, a video or whatever, and really anybody that's really good with a crankbait, anybody that's really good with a moving bait, forget about the fish, forget about everything else. Watch what they do with their rod and reel. And I guarantee you, none of them will throw it out there and wind it straight back in, okay? Yeah. So, you know, you you can kind of create your own deflection by stopping, starting that bait, pulling on it, giving it a little twitch, make it do something different. That will get you bites right there. I've seen that before. You see how pronounced crankbait fishers are with their reel handle. You know, it's not just it's down by their side and they're just winding along, but they've got it up in the middle of their body, up around their chest. And, you know, I've seen Kevin do this. You know, he's cranking, 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 moving, doing different stuff. And it's almost the reel is just as important to the action as the rod. So you might change your rod from left to right or deflect and and have all the right actions and that kind of things. But utilizing that reel, you know, you don't think about that whole lot, Kevin, but when you bring that up and i think back in all the shows and everything well, you watch that seems to be a critical you part say, next time you guys are watching something you know where somebody's throwing a crankbait even if it's a limpless crankbait pay attention to what they're doing with the rod and reel and you'll see that i just about guarantee it all right good deal well, i tell you what it's time for the bass edge listener question brought to you by o'reilly auto parts the professional 
all parts people. Our gift card winner today is Matthew Irvin from East Tennessee. Matthew sent in this question through our Bass Edge Facebook page and asks, The lake I fish doesn't have any grass, so we're using Christmas trees and other artificial attractors in order to create some cover. How should I go about positioning such attractors to be more effective? Nice. I've actually done uh, a little experimenting on this myself, and I'll tell you what I've found. I've never been a big fan of Christmas trees, okay? And Christmas trees are fine for panfish, for attracting minnows, but the problem is they don't offer places for bigger fish to get in. Best thing that I found was either three or four, four to five inch thick limbs. They don't have to be huge. You know, I've seen guys cut down whole trees and drag them out you know, in the <laughs> river and stuff. You don't have to go that far. All you got to do is take three to four, four to five inch thick limbs that are, say, four foot long and either wire them together. And basically what you want is a tree. If you can imagine a tree standing up vertically off the bottom, you know, you can set one of the limbs down in a bucket of uh, concrete mix, quick creek strap it to a concrete block, and then wire the others to them so that they are kind of in a tree fashion. And what this does is it gives those bigger fish something to get up against and underneath. We used to fish a lot of tournaments down in the, uh, the Pine Bluff Harbor, which is kind of a little backwater area off the Arkansas River. And it's nothing but these huge, long sand flats forever. One of the best pieces of cover in that whole harbor was, and I know you guys have seen them, these big wooden spools that they used to use for wire. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They're like yeah. big yeah. wire. Some guys had taken some of these big spools, and, and they spent a lot of time doing it, but they had set a log. I'm talking like telephone pole-sized log up on <laughs> these big spools out in the harbor. And it wasn't deep. You know, when it would clear up in the fall, I mean, you could see the thing. It, it was obvious. But I guarantee you there has been more four- and five-pound fish caught off of that. You know, it's sanded in now. You can't even, you know, it's covered up with sand. But when that big log was up off the bottom, oh, man. I mean, everybody that knew about it, I mean, it, it was just unbelievable. It's something that simple. It doesn't have to be huge, something that simple. If there's nothing else around there, they're going to get on it, and man, they would. Well, quickly, Kevin, can you talk a little bit about, like, for instance, on the sand flat there in the harbor, what about uh, yeah. as far as where Matthew would look? What types of banks do you feel placing cover on? Do you like more of that isolated, out-of-the-way, do-nothing type situations to draw them in, or are you wanting something that has a little more flavor? Probably going to have to find an area that's got a little bit of depth variety. And what I would do is I would place several of them, say, in a line that went from maybe three or four foot deep out to seven or eight foot deep and then 10 to 12 foot deep, depending on, you know, how deep this lake is. But place several of them at several different depth ranges. The fish change depth ranges depending on the conditions, depending on the time of year. If you've got all your little brush piles set in five foot of water, well, they're only going to be good in most places at a certain time of the year. But if you've got a variety of depth ranges, this is not an easy proposition. It takes a lot of work to actually do that. But if you build them like I'm talking about, they'll last for four, five, six years if you put them together right. But by putting them at, the, at a variety of depth ranges, that'll give the fish something to get around 
in a lot of different conditions. Well, Matthew, there you have it directly from Kevin Short himself, and Kevin certainly appreciate your insight. Matthew, make sure to send us an email letting us know you heard your question answered here on the show to redeem your $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. $100? Wow. You need to start submitting some questions, Kevin. I guess so. I like that. Hey, listeners and, and uh, Kevin, you can continue submitting those questions via our Facebook page at or our Twitter handle, at BassEdge, or through our email, support at BassEdge.com. And remember to include your name and hometown with your question. Kevin, thanks so much for being part of the show. What a deep education on shallow cranking. Any uh, closing comments for the Bass Edge listeners? One of the things that I always try and tell people that are asking different questions, every day on the water is different. Okay, just because you caught them yesterday or last week on a swim bait, on an umbrella rig, spinnerbait, whatever, the next time you go to the water, keep your eyes open and pay attention to what's going on. If you're not getting bit on what you caught them on last time, don't keep doing the same thing, man. Change. Okay, do something totally different and it's hard to do we get locked into doing the same thing and that's the way we called it last time last week last month whatever don't get locked into doing the same thing keep experimenting and you'll keep catching well that is good stuff right there great catching up kevin really want to thank you again for stopping by bass edge radio we'll be right back in a moment Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. That was a real pleasure having Kevin Short on the show today. You know, he brings such a wealth of knowledge. You know, that interview really kind of reminded me a little bit about our Marcus Sakura episode several months back where he went really in-depth into jerkbait fishing. Obviously, Kevin Short brings us the techniques and information to be super successful in the shallow water cranking technique. Absolutely did, Kurt. You know, I had several takeaways just in my notes uh, as we were going through it, the multiple casts to the one piece of structure, really uh, making sure that you're covering all angles, the fiberglass rod, visualizing where those fish are laying on that piece of structure, and then also the WEC-1 crankbait balsa and the Norman Big N. Going old school, those tried and true still work, so great, great interview. Yeah, I'll be adding some of those baits to my repertoire, so uh, I'm excited about it. Bass Edge Nation, thanks for tuning in to episode 180 of Bass Edge Radio. For Aaron Martin, I am Kurt Dove, and we'll be back April 1st. Until then, tight lines, everyone. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. 
Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. The Edge is presented by Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.